Hello, hello, and welcome to Review 2. This week we're Review 2-ing Spider-Man Turn Off the Dark. This is a dangerous show. Spider-Man. Spider-Man. Andrew Lloyd Webber is the king. Who made this decision? You're wrong, you're wrong. If this is what they put on the record, imagine what they didn't. Hello and welcome to an out-of-season episode of Review 2, the U2 podcast, a show that dedicates itself to all things U2. And why? Because we just love talking about that too. My name's Tyler and sat across from me is Johnny. We are two U2 fans and we are your hosts. Yes. Hello. Hello, Johnny. So yeah, an out-of-season special. Is it a special? It's a bonus app, I think. I, I always get a little weird around the, the word special, because there's nothing very special about this podcast. Uh, No, not really. I'd say bonus. No one asked for it, but it's here anyway. Yeah, and today we're going to be talking about U2's attempt at musical theatre with mm, Speaking of uh, no one asked for it. Yeah, Spider-Man Turn Off the Dark, which isn't really U2, is it? It's just Bono and the Edge. Well... This is where it gets a bit tricky, I guess, because some of the songs, I think, I think at least uh, "Boy Fell from the Sky," that's apparently everyone was involved in that. Right. Okay. Other songs. So there was some involvement from Harry, uh, Harry um, and Ladam. <laughs> yeah. Um, on that track, yes, but not on other ones. And the thing is, it's very difficult actually to pin down who did what on this album. So. That's something we have to bear in mind. If I'm saying, well, I think, you know, the guitar is interesting here, I'm probably going to say, oh, Edge is doing that, but he may well not have done. And there's lots of bits that are credited as other people doing other things, so very difficult. And the liner notes aren't that clear about who did what. No, I I looked online and I was trying to figure out the writers for the different songs and and things like that, but normally it's like the the main selling point was you 2 wrote this. Yeah. Or, Or Bono and the Edge at least wrote this. Yeah. And other than that, really, there's not a lot. No. So I think that's telling, though, because normally on a U2 album, people are lining up to say, make sure you put in the fact that I did that third hand clap on verse two in there. You know, I want my credit in there for that hand clap. On this... That's your Chris Martin, of course. Oh, yeah, actually. True, yeah. Um, for his uh, mysterious Iris appearance. Yeah. Um. But on this, it seems like people are just trying to diffuse and kind of, you know, say, no, I didn't do that. He did that. Maybe I did that. Let's just leave it there. Well, people kind of just want to get as far away from this this show as possible. Yeah. Um, and it, it does seem to be quite cursed. Like, we're going to go through in a minute, you know, where this all, where the idea came from. But in one of the first meetings where they were all signing contracts, the Bono and the ed- Edge were there. Mm. I think it was the main producer had a stroke and dropped dead two days later. Yeah, apparently Edge went into the other room to get a pen, and by the time he came back <laughs> in, he was dead. Like, and and people don't stop getting injured and dying around this thing. This is a cursed project, and I don't believe in anything like this. But it just if your producer's dying when you're only signing the contracts, hmm. just just stop, just stop. This this show has claimed more lives. Than any other show I know of. I think you might be being slightly hyperbolic there. I know people were injured, but how many people actually? No one actually died. I think one person did die. Well, I'm sure people died, like you know, 
sort of at the same time than they would have done anyway, but I don't think anyone was spider catapulted into a spider wall or anything. I am pretty sure that one person died during this show. Okay, so we've just returned from a quick fact check. Tyler, did anyone actually die in the show? From a very quick Google search, uh, a stuntman almost died. Um, Practising one of the stunts, uh, he may never return to the stage because of the incident. Well, yeah. So, it's fairly traumatic, I guess. So from a very quick Google search, it doesn't appear like anybody actually, any of the actors or stuntmen involved actually died, but career-ending injuries... Yeah, yeah, and main actors got things dropped on their heads. Someone hurt the. It's not amusing. <laughs> <laughs> um, someone, someone, I think broke vertebrae. Someone else broke the wrist. Something like that. So, needless to say, without any without any in depth research and a full medical report, this is a dangerous show. Yeah, yeah, that's I think the point that we're trying to establish, and possibly even some would say some sort of a cursed show. So, if you're sat at home and you're a Yuzu fan and you know absolutely nothing about Spider-Man Turn Off the Dark and and can't understand why uh, Bono and the Edge, at the very least, would turn their hand to musical theatre. In the early 2000s, uh, musical theatre impresario Andrew Lloyd Webber, uh, Webber? Andrew Lloyd Webber is his name. Hey, why didn't they get Webber to do it? I mean, it surely makes the most sense. Because... He, when he was winning an award, basically said, I would like to thank all the rock musicians out there who have left me alone for the past 25 years. I've had mm-hmm. uh, I've had the musical theatre to myself, which, you know, isn't entirely true, but he has had a lot of success. He's dominant, yeah. Um, he's he's certainly one of the, the big guns in that world. And so Bono being Bono is sat in the audience going, well, why don't we, you know, show Andrew Lloyd Webber, mm. you know, what we can do? And by God, I... Do you think Bono can turn around and go, yeah, that was a bad idea? I No, I, don't, I think once they're invested in something, they're properly invested in it. I mean, it's not like they realised this was going badly and then tried to distance themselves. They became more invested. They became executive producers rather than just, you know contributing a few songs that kind of thing so yeah it seems like they doubled down on this and possibly lost well they did i think the the cost of the show was um 75 million and they did they didn't they just didn't make that back investors lost about 60 million that's i don't know the exact economics but yes it sounds like they lost a hell of a lot of money yeah on they, this. They, they did because it was the most expensive show in history hmm uh, and they're expecting with, I think, with the Bono and Edge connection and the fact that Spider-Man, you know, was had had a pretty successful film run. And also superheroes in general were really starting to come into their own then as a enormous cultural, you know, kind of wave of money and franchising and films. On paper, this actually looks like it could really be a big hit. Yeah. Uh, and a show that could run for years and years and years. Julie Taymor from The Lion King attached as well. Yeah, and The Lion King is a really good show as well. If, you, if you're not particularly into musical theatre, um, whether you've seen the original Lion King cartoon or not, just go and watch that show because it's astoundingly good. Mm-hmm. Uh, have you seen that? Nope, but I, can, I, mean, I assume it's good. It looks pretty good. How much, how much musical theatre have you seen? Well, this was a question I was going to get round to. Um, not loads. I've seen Cats, hated it, but then again, I was about twelve years old and probably not ready for a 
a musical about cats. I'm more of a dog person anyway. By the by, I really like Sweeney You're Todd. They're not actually cats. No, I was painfully aware of that. I would have preferred just watching some cats on a stage. Would you? Well, at least they're cute and not singing tedious T.S. Eliot poetry <laughs> at me. I like T.S. Eliot, by the way, but just not in cats. Anyway, um, Sweeney Todd, really like that. You saw that live? Yes, yeah. Wow, where did you see that? I don't know. I can't remember. It was, it was so long ago. See, the thing is, most of, most of my experience has been... It's been when I've been younger and I've been dragged to stuff. I I think I'll get more into musicals as I get older. It's in the sound of music. That's perfectly fine. Um, but I would rather see a play or a gig. And that sounds Philistinian. I feel, well, fair enough. I, I I suppose with musical theatre for me, and I really I'm I'm really quite interested in it. I'll always watch it. Watch it if there's some on TV. Mm. But actually going to the theatre, I never actually I never feel that pull. Yeah, it's always got to be rather impulsive, uh, and it doesn't seem accessible to buy a ticket three months in advance and then you know and then go and watch something. I've seen I've seen We Will Rock You the Queen musical about three times. I've seen that as well. Actually, yeah. I, I actually really do like that, but I'm aware in, in the you know in that world that's it's considered kind of, garbage. Yeah, it's probably really lowbrow. Yeah, I saw Billy Elliot. And I like I, I did like that. I, 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 I wish I'd gone I, to see that. Actually, yeah. I didn't think I would enjoy that, but I did. So we can say then, in summary, we both know a little bit, but not really that much about musical theatre here. Pretty much, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, so back to the kind of the the story for fans who have no idea what's going on. We have this musical. Bono and Edge have signed up. It seems that Bono's taken some sort of a cue to try his hand in this area, um, you know, area of music when he's not really done it before. Yeah. So then, where does that leave us? Well, the interesting point is that this is roughly around 2002 when this oh, is God. just starting to get underway when Bono starts writing some songs hmm. for a Spider-Man musical at, at that point, unnamed. And it's 2005 when they're signing the contracts and the original producer drops dead. Hmm. So already that's quite a lengthy span of time. I think the show debuted in 2010 for previews. End of 2010, beginning of 2011. I know the album came out in 2011. Mm -hmm. But that's nearly a decade of work going into this thing. You think of the albums that, you know, they they were still hot on the heels of All That You Can't Leave Behind in 2002 Mm. with the Elevation Tour. Uh, Then they've got the writing, recording and touring of How to Dismantle an Atomic Bomb and the Vertigo Tour. And then you've got the writing... A lot of writing up until 2009 with various different projects with Rick Rubin. Yeah. Uh, and then the recording of No Line on the Horizon, the 360 tour. Yep. And then the end of that. So there's a lot going on. It's how much time can you two really have dedicated to this project? And I know they, you know, probably did end up dedicating a lot of time to it over the course of a decade, but really. You know, wouldn't it have been better to just say, right, for the next year we're going to focus on this? Hmm. Well, I think there has been, I think there has been talk and, you know, kind of documented talk in a book about this whole production. And the overwhelming opinion, from what I can tell, having not really read that book, only seen little bits of it, is you two were not really present for this. I think they had some general ideas, you know, and riffs and things like that, but they would turn up 
do a little bit and say that's the amount of time now we've got to sod off frankly and do some touring and do some writing of our real stuff strangely like in uh, if you re- reflect this to you know u2's actual career as u2 that's pretty much what rick rubin did and they didn't like that yeah you know rick rubin just wanted to come in for a little bit they they have complete songs and he would produce it yeah this is kind of what u2 were doing here like they would they i think they would send off demo versions of things and then they would turn up for a day yeah. here and there and then and then yeah as you said that was it well i think they're the mistaking the process you know um, and i guess it's not rick rubin's fault cause he's never worked with someone as weird in the studio as you too and i love them for that but they are not standard studio guys you know um so you two think this is going to be something of a cakewalk i think and it really i think they mistook the beast that they're wrestling with here because musicals are different to rock songs you know they're completely different in terms of their structure the balance that's needed and i think they they don't really understand that going into this yeah and i think we're beginning to understand now that at least on paper this looks like a big hit yeah but when you look at the time requirements it would take i mean andrew lloyd webber would probably spend what five six years solidly working on one thing yeah Uh, and i mean we're not we're not masters or we we know nothing about musical theater as you can tell Mm. but that sounds that doesn't sound like an unrealistic you know yeah beginning to end and full-time dedication you know seeing something through waking up and thinking right i'm doing the musical again not okay am i doing no line on the horizon am i doing the dance record am i doing you know this that and the other vertigo it's you need focus yeah uh and that is something particularly in this this point of u2's career just wasn't gonna going to happen Mm. saying that when i didn't know anything else about this when it first came out in 2011, I was really, really excited. Yeah, and that kind of brings me on to an interesting point about going into this, how this is set up, almost seemingly kind of, you know, designed for fans like us, I think. I like Spider-Man. Um, I really like the 90s animated series because that hit just at the perfect time for me. I don't know if you watch that very much, the, the cartoon series. No, I've never been a huge superhero fan, uh, and I really hate Peter Parker. <laughs> I I don't I don't like this real world connection we need to have with superheroes. I, I would be I, I feel like I'd be very happy if there was a superhero who was just in the suit all the time and he was the character was the superhero. I don't care about Peter Parker going to school and being bullied. <laughs> You know, or who he's in love with. But I think that's it, a major no, really, really part of his character, me. isn't it? I mean, you can't just have, I'm Spider-Man and I'm great at this and that's it. The whole duality of his characters is the most important thing about it. Uh, just Maybe <laughs> that's why I'm not a fan of superheroes. Uh, but I would just like my superhero to be steadfast, in a way. And Peter Parker's just always been really, really annoying. Who was that Toby guy that played him in the, the first three films? Toby Maguire. He just terrible. He's really, really well, bad. I, th- I think you might be going against the critical consensus on Spider-Man, because I think most people like that those films and don't like the new ones. But... I hate his voice. <laughs> I, I pretty much hate I hope he's putting a voice on, actually, for the film. These are really awful critiques. Yeah, so anyway, Spider-Man, right? I like it a lot, but I don't like it so much that I, you know, I'm a huge, you know, kind of comic book fan... Or I think the law is sacred and it has to be done in this particular ways. You know, I don't think, oh, it has to be this origin story and you have to do 
Aunt May like this or Gwen Stacy like this or anything like that. So I like Spider-Man. I used to play with the figures when I was little. I like the TV show. I generally like superhero stuff, you know, by the by. And I'm also not such a mega fan that I think it would be, you know, oh, no, it has to be like this. And also, I love you too. So on paper, this looks great. And let's not forget of you two's successes in the past with dealing with big, poppy, larger-than-life cultural figures. GoldenEye, not that out of the park. They got James Bond right there, Bono and Edge. Yeah, I think the 007 team tried to distance themselves from you two, but we'll... Tough luck. Um, but they, they did really well. I think that's a great song. They never talk about that either. Uh, most people don't know about it either. You know, I, I, it's always a, f- a, a fact you can keep in your back pocket for James Bond fans. It always really winds them up because usually they're like, oh God, I like that song and I hate you too. Mm. Second thing, Hold Me, Thrill Me, Kiss Me, Kill Me. Fantastic song. We'll review it eventually. But needless to say, that is a good, you know, kind of U2 superhero crossover. And last thing, Edge did the theme for the Batman um, animated series. I forget which one exactly. I think it was just called The Batman. You see, I didn't even know that. Well, there you go. So, well done. Well, you have you a finally to taught me something after <laughs> nearly 20 episodes. So, what I'm saying is, this all looks good. This all is stacked in favour of you two. They can do dark, atmospheric, cartoony, cool stuff. And then we get to the musical and the album. And we'll have to see whether that goes well or not. Well, I think um, I think it's time to go track by track. Yeah, and this is through the album that was released, not the musical. So just to clarify, neither of, neither of us has been to see this musical, have we? No, there is a, a cam version on YouTube if you're inclined to watch it. Fine, but I wasn't going to sit there for two hours, ten minutes and watch a cam musical. No, um, certainly not. A, you know, a musical which could have been a snuff film. <laughs> so I did have a look at that um, just to see what, what the, the snuff film? no, just to see the uh, the I knew stage, it was going to end like that, <laughs> the stage and stuff like that, and um, some of the some of the general you know kind of stunts look quite impressive, but what me and Tyler are doing here is we're going through the album. And these songs are either going to stand up on their own merits or not, really. Okay, so one last thing. Yep. In 2011, when it first came out, did you like it? No. I really did. Okay, interesting. And I think that is going to become interesting as we go through this. Mm. Um, Right, so, from innocence to experience and beyond, put big lights on, love, as we review to Spider-Man Turn Off the Dark. Okay, so track two on the Unforgettable Fire. It's Pride in the name of... Nope, it's NY Debut. Uh, This song begins with a kind of pastiche of Pride at the start. Nice little jangly kind of guitar sound before we move into kind of a different era. Big guitar sounds, very kind of um, upbeat sections and then changes of tempo. What did you make of this, Tyler? Uh, Well, I didn't get Pride. I I thought it was more 90s, but I can see how it's kind of a... Zooming in and zooming out of a a kind of overview of U 2s career, hmm. one uh, which I've really liked. I thought it could be a good intro to 360. Okay, uh, I can imagine them coming on on stage to that, and that would have sounded epic. And would they have been flying in on web strings? No, no, more well, big microphone leads. 
I mean, to be fair, Bono basically did that in Ultraviolet. He's swinging around like Spider-Man. Yeah. Slightly less impressively. He got really quite confident at that. Like, I think we saw him pretty early on, but that mm. tour went on forever. Yeah. And, and he did some like pretty crazy Tarzan swings and stuff like that. So enough about Bono's web slinging. <laughs> uh, right, back to Spider-Man then. Yeah, I think this is a good, a good song. Uh, really happy with it as an opener. Mm. It sounds more like you two than anything to do with Spider-Man, really. Yeah, although it's got, I think it's got really the energy. Uh, I can see how this would work for a Spider-Man musical, in terms of how everything's kind of you know zooming around and changing tempo. Um, there's a really weird bit at about the two-minute mark where there's some sort of spooky xylophone, which t- <laughs> you only hear for a second or two, but it's quite off-putting because. The song moves from that early kind of, you know, jangly, echoey pride sound to getting quite fast and quite heavy in different sections. And then we have this kind of bit where and there's little xylophones in the background. It's very odd. I've not noticed that. Well, it's not a big feature, but it's tonally inconsistent, I would say. Yeah. Okay. Two minute mark. Have a look. Moving on. Uh, I kind of thought this would be, when I was listening to this, I thought this would be kind of like a, a Bond-esque opening action sequence with Spider-Man chasing down some nondescript villains. Um, and this is just to show off the stage and the stunts, mainly. Yeah. And I think also if you did that, then you wouldn't need to do as much of it throughout the rest of the show, yeah. other than maybe the climax. Because you're saying, this is his day-to-day, and now let's tell this story. Yeah. Uh, which I thought would have been a sensible thing to do. But actually, in the show, this song takes place after Uncle Ben's death. Uh, he sings Rise Above, which we'll get to. Mm. And then he goes into this song on a bit of a you know, a, a manic march around the city. Yeah. Um, which is a bit disappointing, because I, I, thought, I thought at least the songs on the album were in the sequence of the show. And that's not the case. Well, I think I think we've. I mean, there's a lot less here as well. I mean, there's probably what twice as many um, songs overall in the actual musical than there are here. Was it really? Yeah, I mean, think of how long that would be. This is nowhere near as many songs as there actually are in the show or in different versions of the show. So I think we've just got to take this as. Are these the best then? Maybe I don't know. It's oh, it's hard God, to say how because bad did it get? the problem the problem is though. Musicals obviously will be doing a lot of visual storytelling as well as the kind of the words at the same time. So in isolation, the songs might not really make that much sense. So for my purposes, having not seen the musical, you haven't either. No. Um, for my purposes, I'm saying, you know, what is this like as an album? So I guess that's the only way to really take it. So sorry, guys, if you're really invested in the musical and you, you're saying, no, you're missing out the whole thematic resonance of what Arachne is saying at this point or, you know, whatever the hell's going on in the show. We might talk about it, but this is really an album review here. Yeah, it, it's it's kind of like there's no subtlety here either. There's no like, yeah, Bono and the Edge wrote this, but, you know, you, you wouldn't know. This is like Bono and the Edge wrote the music to this. Well, as I said, first thing is that Pride style riff, you yeah, know, to it's... say... Here we are, guys. It's so blatantly obvious, and they want... This is a selling point of the musical, as far as they're concerned. They want mm. people to know. This is about as u 2 e as it can get. I remember when uh, when Mercy was first leaked online in about 2006, around that time, and people were saying that they can't release this because it's too u 2 e I think Rolling Stone or someone like that said They said that. it was six minutes of u 2 sort of outpouring at the most u 2 e or something. Something yeah. like that. Yeah, but, like... 
That is ridiculous. Mercy is subtle compared to this. This is so unadulteratedly U2. It's bizarre that... It's like, everybody bought a ticket to watch Spider-Man, but you're not going to watch Spider-Man, you're going to listen to U2. And it's kind of selling the audience on the wrong thing. Right from the get-go. Yeah, I I see what you mean. I would say this is like a cartoon version of U2. And also... You two have used sounds that have been similar to this in the past that I think fit with the the Spider-Man, Batman, superhero world, if you know what I mean. Mm. So, yeah, I see what you're saying, but I'm. It's not sunk at this point. I'm happy with with this as an opener. No, I like I like it as an opener, but I like it because I'm a U two fan. Hmm. I'm trying to view this as the regular theatre goer. Well, my question would be, how do you make something sound like Spider-Man without coming out and going... That's from the animated series. The the Edge didn't have to sound this... this It didn't have to sound this much like you 2 Surely they can perform in other styles. We've seen them do it. Yeah, not necessarily successfully, but yeah. Like it didn't need to be this U two, and I so I do like the song, but in terms of a musical, I have to question why it sounds so much like it does. Because you can't tell the talent not to do what they want, and this is a problem. There's a certain principle in show business where basically, if you put a certain amount of money in, you are guaranteed, almost guaranteed, to make a return on that investment. So even if your script is terrible. If you, you know, if you put in these many, you know, kind of really big stars, people will just go and see it because they think, well, it can't be bad if, you know, Emma Watson's in it or Gerald Butler, well, maybe not Gerald Butler, but, you know, someone someone else is in it, you know. Um, so I think that might have been the principle that they, that they went for here, but it doesn't always work. Well, there you go. It's an intro. Let's get to the bulk, shall we? Please. The Incredible Bulk. So here we go with track two, The Boy Falls From The Sky. Mm-hmm. It's kind of a take on the kind of Icarus myth here um, from U2. A lot of kind of references to that. And I think one of the best lyrically kind of, you know, developed songs on here, You're Smiling, Like You Don't Believe Me. <laughs> no, um... I mean comparatively. The first lyric, you can change your heart, but you uh, you can change your mind, but you cannot change your heart. Mm, Very wise. But it's also very Bono. Yeah. It's it's like this. This doesn't sound like a song that was written for this show. Yeah. These these lyrics, and I do like it. I think it's a good song. I think it would be a contender for a single if this was a traditional album. Um, I I it just screams to me that these are lyrics that Bono has wanted to put out there as much as possible. Mm. It's like it's like Bono's gone right. Okay, this album, this song is going to be heard by more people than your average U two fan. Possibly a wider, you know, net. A different for, audience, yeah. yeah. Uh, let's let's put some really good lyrics in there. And mm. I'm I'm thinking of Bono reading the lyrics to BB King, you know, in, in that way, just thinking, oh yeah, these, these are some strong, mighty fine lyrics for you know for such a young man. <laughs> some heavy lyrics. <laughs> Mad fan lyrics, um, and that's why I just I feel like Bono is kind of trying to show off to to a different audience. Uh, see, I I kind of feel like this is Bono's second sketchbook. So I think he has one sketchbook where he writes all the really good lines that he comes up with, and this is where he just kind of puts the general, yeah, that sounds a bit Bonoy, and we'll put it in there. Um, and I think 
throughout this album, we're going to see literal instances where there are replicated lyrics. So we'll we'll, we'll keep an eye out for them yeah. as we as we go through the. Um, I don't think there's any in in this one at the moment. Um, but there's some um, there's some quite good good kind of things. I mean, um, I'm trying to think where the actual good bit is. I might have to have, have a look at my, my lyrics. So uh, fill, fill in, Tyler. Fill in quickly. <laughs> okay. Um. So what do I think of this song? This song is it. it it's okay. I do. I do think it's a good song, but. It, doesn't it's not really taking on musical theater because it's not in the style of musical theater it's just no. a a, it's pop, a rock song yeah it's a pop rock song um and it's okay but i all the time i was listening to this i just really wanted bono to be singing it i wanted this to be a full band u2 version rather than what felt like a half-assed music theater version did yeah. you get that well, everything's got a kind of cloak of... I don't want to say cloak of musical over it, because that would imply that musical is bad, inherently. But it's not raw like a rock song, really. So, it's yeah, it's odd. It's kind of like a, an advertisement version of a, of a song, you know, or something like that. It's a bit... Something's a bit safe in it. Um, I found the lyric, by the way, if anyone's interested. Um, someone might be. Someone possibly might be. Um, <laughs> This is such an anticlimax now. So I like the line where he's saying, you'll always be in front of me, even as I disappear from view. Um, for I have not done a single thing without the thought of you. I like that one because it's kind of... I like anything in this in this whole album, basically, where there's some good Spider-Man, not too punny, but kind of, you know, he's talking about the fact that there's kind of a vision in front of him, and it, but he's swinging away from that, and it's still sort of... There's people behind him, like Uncle Ben, and then maybe... Gwen Stacy or whoever the hell in front of him, you know, to kind of keep him driving forward. I think that's pretty cool. There's some there's some good ideas here, but there's just Can not... Let's ask who Gwen Stacy is. She's Spider-Man's girlfriend who isn't Mary Jane. Right. Okay. I, I'm not going to get any more specific than that because there are already people going, what the hell is this guy talking about? He doesn't know anything about Spider-Man. And fur cop, I don't. Yeah, I don't have. Um, but I'm familiar with him as a concept, you know, and there's a there's a really good bit at about one thirty five, thirty seven, where the guitar goes and it sounds like a web being shot. That's really cool. I can just imagine, for some reason, I imagine you stood up when you're listening to these albums. You stood up with your arms folded, slightly leaning to one side, and when you hear something good, you just nod your head and go, hmm. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I like to think that I know that um, if that if that was Edge recording that, and I, th- I think it probably was, I think he'll have taken a million goes to be like, mm, we're not quite right. It doesn't quite sound like a web being shot. Let me do it again. And the studio engineer is thinking, what the hell is going on? Why have I listened to 30 different takes of a <laughs> guitar web? Um, so, thoughts in summary of this song? Um, the very start sounds a bit like U2 meeting Toxicity. As in, you know, System of a Down. Again, yeah. ding, 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 ding. Sounds a bit like that. And later on, it sounds a bit like, around the two-minute mark, it sounds a bit like No Line on the Horizon. As in the song, No Line on the Horizon. And there's kind of a flattening out at that period. And it just seems like the the build-up's really dull in this. You know, you're meant to be thinking that this is a huge, you know, kind of climax. But there doesn't seem to be much variation. You know, when it, when it kind of gets into that dirge of build-up towards the end. Yeah. It never really gets there. And, I mean, it might be useful to bring up, what do we think about Reeve Carney's voice? Do you know what? I w- was 
I didn't know at what point we were going to get to this. Uh, well, we can save it if you want. Uh, no, like, now's a good time. You know, it's happened naturally. So, yeah, he seems to have one gear. Yeah. And maybe one and a half at a push. And he's really good at that gear. But you take him anywhere out of his comfort zone. It, it, and, well, mainly, you don't get to see him out of his comfort zone on this. No. It's very static. It's very one-dimensional. And I didn't realise that in 2011 when I was first listening to this album. And I listened to this album a lot. I thought... Really? This, yeah, I thought this was really good. There was I had a holiday in, uh, at the time. And this was basically my soundtrack to the holiday. I would listen to it, listen to it every day. Oh, on holiday. I I thought this album was really, really good. And I didn't notice it then, but now looking back, yeah, he doesn't he doesn't have the range that is maybe needed for musical theatre. And I don't know how his career progressed after this. I think he once his first contract for the show ran out, he swiftly, you know, webbed himself away. Mm. But I don't know I don't know what he what he's done since. Well, who knows? I mean, we we could have we could have looked it up, but the thing is, it doesn't seem like he's got the best voice for this whole show. Really, there's occasionally uh, occasional kind of moments where he pushes it a bit harder, like in the actual climax of this song, and he he kind of almost cracks his voice a little bit and sounds okay, but he's got a weird. And the thing is, I've got to say, I can't sing at all. And I, you know, not massive fan of my own even vocal sound just speaking on a microphone. I disagree. I think you can sing. Well, that, by the by, I can't. But by the by, I think Reeve Carney is not that impressive on this album. He's a bit, dare I say, kind of mushmouthed. He feels like he's got something else in his mouth a lot I of the time. I think had a problem getting actors for this. So I can see why. Yeah. Um, I, at the time, I really enjoyed Reeve, Reeve Carney's performance, but I don't. I don't anymore. It's it's very it limits a lot of the songs mm. in a, a hugely undesirable way. Yes, and on track two, the first song with any kind of vocal performance, that's a problem. <laughs> so we best move on. <laughs> Rise above one. So this is the moment where you really understand what's been missing vocally, because as soon as Bono comes in. It's like a rainstorm in a, you know, kind of on a parched summer day or something like that. It's it's so good when you hear his voice come back in. And you realise kind of how how limited, really, um, Carney's voice is comparatively. I mean, um, and I'm not the first person to say this. So John Dolan, uh, when he reviewed this, said, show tunes need big voices. And singing next to Bono on this version from the forthcoming cast recording, leading man Reeve Carney sounds like a nervous understudy. And I can only really agree with him. I mean, for me, the highlight of this whole album, perhaps, is that in terms of a moment, is when Bono comes in and, and says, I hang on every word. And you can tell there's a, you know, an open throated vocal performance going on here. Great line as well, I hang on every word. That's another moment where the Spider Man mythology. And U2's lyric writing is working quite well. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, this was released as a single, digital download only. Uh, actually performed quite well in a couple of the charts. Really? Um, wow. Uh, not in all charts. Uh, I'm just going to run through the few that are on Wikipedia. Uh, the Canadian Hot 100 it got to 71. 
the US Billboard Hot 100, 74, the US Adult Alternative Songs Billboard, number 8. Okay. Uh, US Adult Top 40 Billboard. How many are there of these? Uh, just two more after this. Okay. Uh, so the US Adult Top 40 Billboard is 34. The US Hot Rock song Songs Billboard, 48. Mm-hmm. And the US Heat Seekers Songs Billboard, that's number five. So, it did okay in a couple of those. Yeah, not really, though. Uh, it was supported by a performance on the American... X Factor or Pop Idol or whatever they've got over the yeah, which was a bit un- shows was a bit underwhelming to be honest. I really like that. I remember listening to that a lot. But I think again for U two fans, this came out in a time of a drought when there wasn't a lot going on, mm. so you kind of had to soak up any sustenance you could. I wonder why there wasn't a lot going on because <laughs> we were too busy writing a musical about Spider Man. Too busy dropping actors from the ceiling. Yes. Well, this is a song, at least. This is a is a song, and I know there are different... Actually, maybe that's a problem. This is too much of a rock song and not really a musical song. And I was trying to think of a definition before we started this of, okay, what makes something rocky and what makes something musically? Because you can't just turn up as a band and say, we can write a musical. And I think it's probably to do with the overall flow of the the way the story and the stage show works out. I think there needs you know. to be more of... Uh, presence from the rest of the company, the the rest of the cast. Yeah, uh, there needs to be that fuller sound, that range of uh, you know of vo- of voices, and a real sense of character as well. Which does it does it make sense to do Rise Above Two now as well, just so we can compare and contrast? Um, no, let's do it later. Right. Okay. <laughs> okay. Right. So all I can say for now really is. <laughs> that uh, Rise Above if you put Rise Above 1 and 2 together you could have had one good song very long song I don't mean put them together in, like, <laughs> right, just, okay. just stitch one to the end of the other one no like you know mix them both together yeah. and I think you could have created one good song but we'll come back to that uh, I can't really say anything else about Rise Above until we do 2 then well one thing I can say is this is an annoying moment whereby this song not only doesn't really inspire me that much, it's pretty good in some places, but um, it actually is detrimental on other songs. The other song I'm thinking about is Invisible, because it talks about, you know, only them, uh, sorry, there is no them, there's only us, that kind of thing. And I think, oh, it's so annoying, because I, I love that line in that song, in Invisible, but I don't want it tainted by Spider Man. Do you know what I can. I can listen to Invisible without thinking about Spider-Man. Maybe the first time I was listening to it, I was thinking, oh, they've repeated a lyric. But mm. I, you two do that. They've, they've done it in their own work anyway. Yeah, but that's fine. I don't, I don't mind a cross-pollination or a growth of ideas. And may, you might just say it boils down to semantics. You know, I like Dream Out Loud, you know, kind of being in different places, for example. I like stuff growing and a theme being pursu- like pursued. But it's a, it's a different context. You know, like the Spider-Man universe is not the same universe as the universe of Invisible. And it annoys me that there's there's that idea that, oh, you can just chuck a line from one bit to another bit, it doesn't matter. It, th- that irritates me, to be honest. I just think it boils down to semantics, really. Well, maybe I'm hanging on every word. So now we come to track four. Picture this. 
I kind of like this, even though I don't like the idea of the, you know, real world connection with superheroes. I like the idea of someone on stage. I think it'll be visually interesting to see someone running around on stage, taking pictures, and having them pop up on a screen. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, I was so moved by what you were saying. (coughs) Yes, Tyler, I agree. Good. Um, Yeah, so I think that's visually interesting. I think this could also be a contender. Well, not a contender for a single. It sounds like a U2B side. That's exactly what I've got written down here. This sounds exactly like a U2B side. Yeah. Sounds like something that would have been written in the same kind of sessions as Summer Rain or something like that. Yeah, Flower Child. Yeah. Yeah. All the great songs that should have been on uh, All You Can't Leave Behind rather than Wild Honey. So moving on, um, this is Edge's first vocal debut, as far as I can tell, on the on the album. I didn't even know Edge sang on this. Well, he does the backing. He does the picture this kind of background bit. Yeah, okay. The yeah. kind of main hook. It does sound quite... Nice and sunny. Um, I do like when they, you know, say sunny day. I I can imagine this being a U two single at some point though, if if given mm. time to to you know be worked on. I think this is again a Bono idea, which just so happens to fit in to loosely into a Spider Man thing. Yeah, and I think the theme is good here. The whole picture of this thing. I think it has been thought through this a bit. You know, there's been some kind of thinking here. And there's the connection to um, Peter Parker, which is good. Um, so the majority of the song is kind of fine. You know, it's fine. But then the end of this song is absolutely unlistenable. Um, do you remember this bit at the end where there's sort of this rising distortion at the background and you can hear Bono in the background going, who made this decision? Bono and, likes doing that. But it's... Steve Lillywhite should say, no, you're not allowed to do that, Bono. Is, has Lillywhite got credit on this? He produced this album. Did he really? Yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> Have you seen that in the news? Steve Lillywhite sells sells CDs in KFC in like Indonesia. <laughs> that is surely an onion headline. It was headline. on Pitchfork last night. I saw that. And You know when you think you're dreaming? You know when you, you think... Well, that headline just got weirder and weirder. <laughs> yeah. Let me just get it. Um, but you know when you think... In case you forgot, this is Spider-Man Turn Off The Dark. I can't actually just have seen that headline. This must be a dream. I'll wake up in a minute. We'll confirm it and then you can we can move on from picture this. So I'm just googling Steve Lillywhite, KFC. Right, number one. Posted 14 hours ago. YouTube producer Steve Lillywhite opens up about selling CDs at KFC. Yeah, but was this, this when he was real? But when he was this when he was younger or fallen on hard times or something like you know kind of an ebb in his career? His company sells five hundred thousand CDs a month at chicken shops in Indonesia. Well, maybe in Indonesia people like to buy music with chicken. I don't know. It, it's, maybe it's more of a thing there. Basically, it's incredible. They're like, okay, the, the it did make it sound like Steve Lillywhite was actually standing in KFC with a suitcase yeah. and selling CDs, which he's apparently not doing. Massive stack of Octobers in front of him. <laughs> but I just, I just saw that, and that it just made me laugh so much. Well, I think that says volumes about Picture This. Ah, uh, Picture This is all right. It's a YouTube side. <laughs> I just can't walk away. Brackets. Say it now. Um, so this is where Jennifer Damiano, I think that's how you say her name, is making her kind of debut on the album. 
Um, she can sing, certainly. She's got a very kind of, you know, musical... You know, her voice fits in musicals. Actually, probably more than Carney's does, I would say. However, this is probably her worst song for me in terms of just the tone of her voice. Um, it's very odd, this song, in terms of its tone. So there's there's bits of it which it sounds like the Beatles, you know, kind of, you know, when the chorus comes in, um, you know, when it's kind of... Dum, bum, 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 dum, bum, and it sounds a bit Beatles-y. Yeah. There's, there's, there's a harmonica that in at some point. There's a sitar in at some point, or a sitar sound. And then there's a bit where it sounds like Love is an Open Door from uh, Frozen. So it's all over the place, this song, and it doesn't make for a good listen, in my opinion. Um... Well, I put, does this sound like a musical song? Or is it just that it's got a woman singing it? Well, both men and women singing in musicals. Yeah, I know, but I, I think you hit the nail on the head. Like, she sounds like a musical singer. Yeah. There's there's a difference there. Um, yeah. Whereas Carney sounds like a, a cross between that and a sort of rock singer, but a very, like, pop idol rock singer. Like, rock in inverted commas. Again, what I thought, or what I felt was missing from this, was that the the the, the big chorus at the end, or the, or a verse at the end with all the company singing it. Yeah. Do you hear the people sing that kind of thing? Yeah, they just don't. You don't. You don't hear anybody else. It's just them, and mm. I think particularly for a musical, it's okay once a show to have just one soliloquy, as it were. Yeah. One, you know, one person singing, but. Every song is a bit weird. Yeah, it is odd. I mean, well, but Car- I mean, Carney's in this, isn't he? At some point. Oh no, am I thinking about a different one? No, I think I am. I think this is just her. I thought they traded off with each other. No, they definitely do because I remember him well, singing. This is how nondescript it is the fact that we can't. Remember. Well, I mean, when did you last hear it? I heard it this morning. Well, I, I mean, look, I, I think this is interesting because we're coming from this in different, from different kind of um, histories here. You like this and listen to it a lot, as you said before, yeah. when you were younger. I heard this pretty much once and thought, this is terrible. I don't want to go anywhere near this. And I've listened to it more in the past few days than I ever have done before. And, you know, I've kind of got a grudging, weird respect for it now. <laughs> um, but this is pretty awful um, and all over the place, full of cliches. I, I get what you're saying, though. It, it, it is weird that there is so much of a focus on individual characters or um voices and there's a really annoying bit at about a minute where um carney says um he's meant to be saying explain to me and to be honest i think if you explain to me yeah yeah explain to me and you think you've got one job really get the diction right on this come on like get it get it yeah i've always noticed that explain Um, it is annoying um i can't defend it at all it should be called i just can't walk away bracket explain to me (laughs) Maybe they sing it at Splain Castle. Yes. Could be. <laughs> so, uh, next song, yeah? <laughs> <laughs> Time for track six. Bouncing off the walls. This is going to be a lively review. <laughs> what, why? I really want to hear what you have to say about this, and then I just have one question to ask you. Okay. Um, so you take the lead on this, please. All right. Okay. Well, this one was a grower for me. I like the fact that it begins with this kind of stripped down, almost Joe Strummer style guitar, which is just like junk, 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 very clashy kind of rhythm. 
so this song has personality, which is good from the get-go. And then because... It sounds distinct as well. It's yeah. It's unlike anything else. Yeah, at the moment it's, it's getting away from that general this is kind of a musical mush sort of sound. But then the bass comes in for the chorus, and I actually really quite enjoy this song. It's it's quite interesting. It's a bit it's a bit of a grower. So yeah, bouncing off the walls pretty good. Better than boots. Oh, interesting, interesting. No, really. Well, no, because it's everything's got inverted commas around it because it's it's in this show and it's kind of a, a musical song. And it's meant to be about Peter Parker bount- literally bouncing off the walls, you know. He's a teen, he's bored, but he's also Spider-Man. So good good kind of crossover there. Um, if Maybe if Bono had sung this, um, but then, I don't know. I, I hear Bono singing this. I don't hear Reeve Re- Carney singing this. Well, you must have a different edition to me, because all I've got is Reeve Carney. Um, <laughs> it looks like an impressive bit of the show, um, because have you, have you seen the, this section? No. So they have four, I'll explain it very briefly, four um, walls in red, and what they have is Reeve Carney or whoever the second actor kind of literally spinning and bouncing up and down and, and you know, sometimes singing upside down and sometimes singing as he's spinning about. And it looks pretty impressive. Although I will say, you can see there's an enormous harness around his middle. So there's a lot of suspension of disbelief needed because you think, why has Peter Parker got a big nappy well yeah like some kind of harness girdle thing yeah well i presume you prefer it to boots i i do prefer it to boots um mm. i i can imagine you two actually releasing this as a song it sounds a bit like enlod actually in terms of it's yeah. um it's it's there's a there's almost that kind of uh morocco fez style guitar in there again that you have in the chorus of boots yeah you say like uh, on uh i just can't walk away that you know, it sounded quite Beatlesy in parts. Yeah, uh, and there are times like "Window in the Skies." I think was Beatlesy. Yeah, I'd for, agree. For yeah. you too. So I would say that that song was written around that time, uh, and then "Bounce Off the Walls." I kind of knew it was Enloth kind of time. Yeah. Well, this is a collage of bits, isn't it? Again, yeah. I don't think there was this real drive for. Okay, guys, let's wipe the slate clean. We're gonna do this musical from top to bottom and focus on it. I think it's like. Oh yeah, I've got that verse from before. May as well put that in. But it's interesting for me to try and pin down when I think the songs were written. Because some of these songs could be 17 years old at this point. And some of them, with a different set of lyrics and a slightly different change of fortune, could have been on No Line on the Horizon. Yeah. So, yeah, interesting. Don't get me wrong, I'm glad Bouncing uh, Bouncing Off the Walls isn't on No Line on the Horizon. Hmm. I generally don't want you two to do any of that kind of song, but for a musical, I think this is kind of good. But again, doesn't sound like a musical song. No. And I think that's a huge problem if you're, you know, trying to appeal to theatre goers. Pull the trigger, and this is, I think, where we get into a much more authentically musical sound here. Um. It's campy, but it's full of emotion. It's got a really good uh, kind of almost sort of claustrophobic edge to it because in the stereo you have, you know, people... It's a really good song for headphones, basically, you know, people jumping in and out of either side of the cans. So there's a bit here. Your life's work, your precious research, your secrets, getting sold, getting bought. It isn't possible, is it? It's not. Or is it? It just, it just sort of goes back and forth. 
um, in this kind of stupid way. But then it's also got a really fun riff to kind of back it all up. Um, so to me, this is a real highlight. Um, I mean, do you find the the riff is really familiar? That it's not unfamiliar, but it's not something that I hear and go, "Oh my god, it sounds like this." Yeah, I couldn't peg it down. Yeah, it sounds a bit like you know the move it, move it kind of thing. No, I definitely don't get that, and don't put that in my head for God's sake. Um, no, I, I don't know. Maybe that's or I've got the power. Me. You know that I've got the power. Better do it. No. Okay, listeners, if you think that this sounds like something else, because it seems like such a familiar riff. Yeah. Um, maybe, you know, if the listeners are listening to this song, they can, you know, let us know. And actually, Johnny, they can let us know in more ways than ever before. Oh, do tell us. They can let us know on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash review to to you. They can let us know on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com forward slash review to. Quite emotionally. They can let us know on Twitter. Please just type in review two on the on the search bar because I've forgotten what the the new Twitter handle is. You can email us if you're one of those rebel type guys. We've actually had a couple of emails from from some rebel type guys, haven't we? Yeah, and please send more. Yeah, um, and we'll put the can we put the this thing on with with all because <laughs> I can't remember them all. Listeners, if you want to get in contact. Just wait till the end of the episode and there'll be some stuff in there. Please do give us your feedback. Give us some reviews on iTunes as well. That would be quite nice. Yeah, um, that would really help us with our marketing efforts. Uh, and the the dream being that one day we can just get paid to talk about you two. I was going to say, we're not going to get any money for this, so I don't know what you mean by marketing efforts. Well, we, we hopefully. You never know. No one took me up on my t-shirt offer either. Which I think is a good bellwether. So <laughs> let's carry on with Spider-Man, Turn Off the Dark, Pull the Trigger... More thoughts, Tyler. I really like this, um, and I I like it because it sounds like musical theatre. Um, you just said it sounds campy. Yeah, it does. Um, I think it. I think that's a good thing. I think that's the direction they should have gone into this. Yeah, it's a Spider-Man musical. It should be campy. Yeah, it it, re- it really should be. This is great. You can you know that the power of having the whole company sing, you know, and contribute to a song. Yeah, the chorus takes off. That it just really it brings you into the show. You're no longer watching the show. You're you're part of the show because there's, you know there's mm. so many people around you actually singing that you feel like you are involved in it. You're... I can see this when I listen to this song. I can see in my mind, you know, the kind of thing that will be going on on stage. Cannot say that for Rise Above. No, it's but the, you get the, the idea that the, the, the villains in this piece. Mm. Uh, this is the the song. This is the beginning of the story. This is the the beginning of conflict, if you like. Yeah. We, we've met Peter Parker. We've met Spider Man. Uh, we've probably met Sweet Mary Jane by this point. And <laughs> we've we met Sweet Mary Jane. <laughs> I, That's something I, different. I, I reckon there's quite a lot of Sweet Mary Jane involved in the writing of this of this musical. Perhaps, yeah. Or at least there should have been. Um, but it, yeah, it's it's great. You can really hear what's going on on stage. You can imagine it. It works. It tells a story. It's the beginning of the conflict. This is where yeah. Spider-Man is. You know, this is this is going to be the point where Spider-Man has the job to do. This is his task. This is his story in the musical. And you also get motivation from you know what will become the Green Goblin as well. You know, Norman Osborn. I think it's that um, Norman. Um, and so you actually get to feel a bit for the the bad guy quote-unquote in this so yeah and the other thing is 
I'm, I'm going to say this is Edge because it sounds like Edge. Um, Edge sounds really raw on this and like he's just having fun. And this is better guitar work, certainly than on tracks like Stand Up Comedy or something like that. It, this is actually, you know, Edge giving himself a big space of time, relatively speaking, within the middle of a song to develop riffs, to play lots of lead. Um, and it doesn't sound like you too. Like, imagine if we had 12 songs hmm. from this musical were throughout it. It was like, I'm really surprised that Edge, you know, Edge sounds like this. I'm really surprised that they, they wrote songs like this. Yeah. We'd be... We'd be congratulating them on not sounding like U2, even though we're U2 fans. Because they would have produced something great without resting on the laurels, really. Yeah. I don't mind them sounding like U2, but I, I agree. I don't want them to just do the easy, well, this sounds a bit U2-y, so we'll stick that in. Um, one thing I was really wanting from this album and didn't get was what I think is pretty key in a musical is you have your repeated themes you know your tropes which are are brought in you know you have them introduced in some sort of overture and then later on they crop up in different ways they kind of did that with rise above two but not really Mm. there is there is no hummable themes that go through throughout this album you know as as it would do in lots and lots of the other classic classic musicals best song so far yeah certainly um sounds a bit like uh nightmare before christmas as well and it's kind of you don't think (laughs) again i haven't drawn those comparisons but that's probably a weird left field one that i'm making thank god we live in a different world uh to each other because i I just i some of the things you throw at me in these podcasts are just bizarre well long may it continue (laughs) no more very different tone to the previous track um, not that, that matters because now I know that the songs aren't in the same order. Um, mm. I kind of like this in a way, um, but it's, it does sound like a Bono song, a song that Bono would have maybe intended for a U2 track somewhere down the way. Um, I, the line about the stupid glasses, <laughs> why do I have to wear these stupid glasses? <laughs> Uh, I just think you've got that, eye problems, Bono. I just think that's the kind of thing that Bono would think is a cool lyric, a very a cool self-referential lyric. I think it's more about Peter Parker here, but I get what you mean. That's funny. I'd never really considered that. Uh, I'm not convinced. I, I particularly, I just think that lyric particular is like you know, but something Bono would have written and tried to fit in. Yeah, it sounds too Bono to be written about something else. Maybe. I mean, my my problem with that is, although I think melodically it does sound quite a bit like a Bono song, um, this is very high school in terms of its, you know, kind of sentiment and subject matter. So, you know, it, it seems to me to be all about, you know, kind of not really feeling happy within your own skin. Obviously, that's a big thing for um, Peter Parker. And also, we've got the whole kind of, you know, domestic... Um, violence kind of angle that uh jennifer damiano is singing about here and i think her voice actually sounds great on this on this song uh when she's singing you know let me disappear good good work on that but i think the problem for me with this song is the chorus is is underwhelming i don't think they should have gone for a minor chord it builds up and then it's just bling anywhere but... i think it's strange that it's a, a full-length song um 
I'm just checking here. Three minutes forty-four. I think in musicals, there's not many songs that you know are a full length. But in on this album in particular, they're all full length, three four minutes. But they're all full length for a rock song. That's the problem. Yeah, and musical songs that have very different uh, rules. You know, one could be eight minutes, one could be one minute. Yeah. So I think what whereas this could be or signify a, a a sad moment or an empowering moment, you know, within the within the musical, it just overstays its welcome a little bit. I never get to the end of this track. What what's the what's the broad's name in this? <laughs> How remarkably disrespectful, Jennifer Damiano. Or do you mean Gwen Stacy? I, I don't know the, the singer. The singer is Jennifer Damiano. <laughs> uh, Jennifer Damiano. She's very much the MVP of of this uh, of this song, and she carries it well. Yeah, yeah. No, agree. Um, uh, she's better here than she is elsewhere. Um, I think. But it, you know, we just had a really good song, and then this is a bit. Meh. Well, I think we've had a lively song. Um, previously and something that sounds really authentically musically whereas i don't think this does this sounds like a sad teenage ballad yeah so diy world which is not your local superstore for all your tools and lumber needs do it yourself it's a song which is more musically again which is good um, now, I think this one undeniably sounds like Nightmare Before Christmas sort of style territory. Do you disagree again? I didn't want to have to disclose this on the podcast, uh, oh, but I've God. never seen it. <gasps> well, so you forced me into that position. Okay. Um, I Let's think Nightmare, Nightmare Before Christmas is the... Um, the director's name, what's he what's he called? Uh he was with El Helena Bonham Carter for a while. It's it's Tim it Burton. Tim Burton Tim Burton is involved, but I think it was uh Henry oh. Selick who actually did Right. I was going for Tim Booth, who of course is the lead singer of indie band James. Right, okay. So DIY World. <laughs> um <laughs> we we won't pursue the Nightmare Before Christmas angle. I'd be interested if anyone at all agrees with me on that. Um this is fine, and I can see that it would make sense in the musical, but the sheer number of repetitions of the word B is tedious in this song. Surely they could have mixed it up a little bit. It must be... B must be said more in this than Baby gets said on Act on Baby. Um, on what, sorry? <laughs> Act on Baby. I'm not saying it in a stupid way. Act on Baby! I'm neither Scott nor Scott. And I'm not up to the task. Um, there's some nice references. Well, I say nice. There's some interesting references here. Um, I'll quickly backpedal on that to kind of the the Third Reich here. There's this kind of, you know, and we can live for a thousand years kind of thing. Obviously, that's meant to be this kind of, you know, this new world order that uh, the Green Goblin wants to install. It's essentially fascistic. That's interesting. But this is a kid's musical and it's a bit dark again. I'm not sure who this is for, this musical. Nothing says musical theatre more than the Nazis. Well, there's the producers, I guess, but that's a, that's a different story. But who is this musical for? I mean, this is a question I want to ask you. Um, because originally it might have been 
tried to have gone in sort of an arty direction with Arachne and Julie Taymor's grand vision for doing Spider-Man in this weird way. But then when you look at it on stage, it looks like it's something for 10-year-olds. I think this musical is for Bono and Julie Taymor. I I think it's for them. I Mm. think it's that shallow. I think it... They want... I think... Andrew Lloyd Webber is... He's the king in town when it when it comes to to musical theatre, mm-hmm. and I think getting on stage and saying to a, a a load of musicians, "Thank you for leaving me alone for the last twenty five years." You 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 know you it's uh, you left it all up to me. Then that it's kind of going to rub people up the wrong way. Now most people it can rub up the wrong way, but they can they can actually get past it. It's not going to ruin the 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 day. Mm. Bono's the kind of guy that needs... I think he wants that affirmation. From a very early age, he was congratulated by being, you know, a great singer, and then he became the singer in one of the... Uh, you know, one of the best bands in the world, and they, they sold all these records, and then since the 90s, it's like they've been trying to claim back that acclaim any way they can. And I think it was just too much temptation for Bono to go, oh, I, I can also be good at this. I think he just mm. wants to be good at everything. Yeah, and the thing is, if there's anyone who's in a position to do this kind of thing, then I guess it it makes sense. And it's very easy to kind of do down this whole production from our end of the telescope, if you know what I mean. Like hindsight's twenty twenty, obviously. This did seem like a good idea, I think, early I, on. I wish it was still running. I wish it was running over here, and I wish it was running in London because I would like to go and watch the Spider Man musical. I am interested because mm. I'm a U2 fan. I want to see how these songs work in their intended setting. Yeah, and also see them live and properly done, not just a rubbish second-hand quality snuck-in camcorder style. So I do wish that they could have sorted it out and, and, and got the production running the way it should be. Mm. Maybe we will still get to see that at some point, but this point it's looking unlikely. But it's not as if I'm you know, being really down on on the musical itself. I just think it is that shallow. It was it was made for two people, uh, for Bono and, and Julie Taymor. Mm. Uh, Julie Taymor, who has done fantastic work in that field before now, but Andrew Lloyd Webber is the king, and everybody else in that industry just must want to, you know get a piece of that, show that there is good if not better than him yeah. it must be rather frustrating well they but, didn't achieve it on this track in my opinion oh no um, it, sound, it's, it sounds like a musical so it gets a point from me on that yeah. but it doesn't it's it's not, a, it's not a great song but again I can't see it in its musical in its um, original setting Yeah. well in this setting as an album track if we're going to treat this as an album it wouldn't be one that I would go back to very much. If this is what they put on the record, imagine what they didn't. If the world should end. Uh, a solo performance by Jennifer... What's her, th- what's her face? I've said this three times now. <laughs> Damiano, and I'm not sure about how that's pronounced. But... Jennifer Damiano. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Italian beauty. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. Um... Yeah, it's good. It's all right. Um, bit sad and um, bit. You know, it's okay. It sounds like it does sound like a musical. Um, 
I feel it really when it goes up a key at uh, at two minutes. That's when it really starts to hit its stride. Mm-hmm. Um, but much like a couple other songs, for its intended purpose, I think it overstays its welcome. And the problem with that is that this actually sounds like a musical song. See, to me, this sounds. It does sound like it's got elements of kind of musical in it. This sounds to me most like a Bond theme, though. Very skyfally. The title, If the World Should End, and I'll just quote a few lyrics. If this world should all come crashing down, I wouldn't care at all. And if there's no tomorrow, I'd have today again. I mean, come on, these sound all like, uh, you know, if that, there's no tomorrow, that sounds like a Bond theme. Do you know what? Film. It's harder to come up with a Bond title than you would imagine. I think a few years ago, we sat around trying to think of good Bond titles. Yeah. And just, it's really rubbish. You know, they they, they just, you, you end up sounding like, you know, a 14-year-old boy trying to come up with a, a Bond title. Well, I mean, to be fair, Bond is pretty much targeted at that market, so I mean... But just looking at the set list, yeah, I think I think there's a few really good ones, like, you know... Pull the trigger? NY debut instrumental, or <laughs> Rise Above One, um, Picture This, uh, DIY World, classic Bond films, I think we can all agree. Bond on a bank holiday. <laughs> Um, but do you, would you agree this sounds a bit kind of almost Skyfall-ish? Or... Yeah, I had, I'd never drawn that comparison before, but yeah, um, I agree. And I think it would, at one point, in one of the, what, more the classic Bond era. Yeah, it's, it got, it's got a few uh, classic elements to it. Hmm. Um, and it's got, I, I like the kind of the picking on the acoustic that's in this track. Um I mean, if I'm being really, if I'm stretching really far, then I, th- I like that kind of delicate, kind of subtle picking because it reminds me a little bit of, you know, kind of Spider-Man-y sort of themes, you know, um, delicate webs and threads and things like that. But it's not that great overall. You know, it's it's okay. But divorced from the, the musical and the logic and the story of the musical, in isolation, it's it's okay. You can, you can see how it might be quite, a powerful song in the in the show, though. Yeah, but I also don't. If something get... dr- particularly dramatic has just happened, and this is her reaction to it. Yeah. Then I can I can see it having a certain power to it. Sinistero, sung by the Edge. So this is very dark. Quite similar, in my opinion, to his kind of Batman theme kind of work. Quite subtle, um, a lot of sort of slide in the background, a lot of texture. And it's quite haunting, but to me this is kind of... It pains me to say this, being the Edge enthusiast and all, but this is sort of a swing and a miss, really. It's It doesn't really add up to anything. Um, it's haunting, as I said, and I like that refrain of you set yourself on fire. But then I'm taken back to the fact of well, who is this for, really? <laughs> I do get what I do get what you mean, though. But it's kind of I can see this being a soundtrack to a film or a very late album track on maybe a Radiohead album or something like that. Ooh, I but, think some Radiohead fans are going to be annoyed at that. But <laughs> uh, fine. Um, but yeah, in terms of this musical, I don't. I can't really see what how it would progress the story. What's happening? 
it feels to me like music for a scene change or something like that. You know, it doesn't seem like it's key. Yeah, an interlude, maybe. I mean, I really do hope there isn't someone setting themselves on fire in this bit of the musical, because again, <laughs> the tonal inconsistencies would be dramatic. It, it's int- I, I actually don't really mind the song, and I, I think I did used to listen to it, but in reality, I can't see what it's actually for, or you know what it does, so it's a tricky one. Yeah, but the thing is, even if it was a song that was used in some sort of other capacity, rather than, you know, really advancing a singular character, like uh, Pull the Trigger or Rise Above or something like that, why then put it on the album? Is it just because Edge wanted something a bit more, you know, kind of present on the album? Fair enough, I guess. But it's it's not the best use of his voice either. It's kind of caked under a lot of different effects and things I think like that's that. that's the kind of thing Edge likes. I mean, look look how many effects he puts on the guitar. Well, yeah, he, he doesn't like that nude sound. True, although I think he does it better and it's better produced overall in something like Numb. Well, you do still have a lot of a lot of stuff going on, but he, you can still hear his voice quite clearly. You know, well that you know, Norman Zuropa was something they were, they were working on consistently. That's one of the few times in U2's career that they were really hammering out the recording sessions. The same cannot be said for this in any way. They just weren't present enough. No, and there's no real melody worked out on this song either. It's kind of almost a chant song rather than. A song song if that makes any sense so yeah. so it doesn't feel like it's developed enough a freak like me needs company thank god you're here yep uh so here we go um i really love this song i've always loved this song and it's one of the few songs on the album which my opinion hasn't changed about i, th- I think it's a strong performance it sounds like a musical it's intended purpose it's got a lot of different voices in it. Uh, it's a good song in that it actually it sounds good in and out of its context. Mm. Um, but you know it's set in a musical. Yeah, it, it works. has identity. It has an identity that a lot of the other songs don't have. Well, certainly it was one that they kind of trotted out. I mean, they performed it live on Letterman, for better or for worse, um, with lots of different uh, characters kind of coming out um, and being, you know, the Sinister Six. And the thing is, um, it does work in both those settings. You know, you can hear this distinctly as a song independent and both in the musical. Um, Page, Patrick Page, Green Goblin, has a lot of personality in his voice, which is lacking. I mean, someone like Reeve Carney, I feel like I'm being a bit mean to him, but he doesn't come across as having much of a character on here. The most character I can say that he displays is probably when he's singing about, you know, having to wear his stupid glasses and you think, well, if that's character, then overall that's not that impressive. Would you say that this song has a kind of almost Zuropa-esque style to it, Tyler? Certainly that era between Zuropa and Pop. Mm. Um, I mean, it got me really, really excited. Very easy to imagine this in a Pop Mart setting. Yeah. Uh, It's the the type of of U2 song that I that I would gravitate towards. I don't think the backing singers are very good on this version, though. Um, if there's one criticism I have of this song, it's that the backing singers are kind of a bit too smooth, really. Um, and maybe they did that on purpose as a contrast with Paige's voice, which is quite gravelly and obviously evil, you know, sounding. But um, I don't think the backing singers are up to are up to much on this. I, 
they've not. They seem bored. Well, they've not made an impact on me, you know, in any negative in any negative way. Um, I really like the chorus when they're all, you know, they're all at all the all the. What's the lyric? Um, it's something about all the freaks getting together and you know having a great time. All the weirdos in the world are here right now in New York City. Yeah, I really like that. I think that's. I just think that's a, a, a good lyric. Uh, and it sounds good. It's put together well. It feels like this song had time to develop in terms of the musical. Yeah. Rather than being a, a song that was, you know, a, a, a square-shaped song trying to be put into a triangle-shaped musical. <laughs> Rise Above 2. The Return of the Killer Rise Above. This is an interesting kind of variation. It's a kind of thing I would like to see more of in this album because it's a development or, you know, a repeated motif. And you can see when the chorus comes back in, it feels really natural and, and interesting. And you think, why is the musical not a bit more like this? Why are there not these shared motifs running through it? Um, it seems also to be a good reflection on what I would consider to be the main kind of themes of Spider-Man. Now, obviously, they're very debatable, but I'll just go through a, a couple of lyrics and what I would consider are the best lyrics on the entire album. An old man said to me, it's not who, but what you know, and knowledge isn't wisdom without control. Better still to be the changes that you want to see. They come slow, I know. So I think that is really the heart of what this musical's meant to be all about. It's about that move, once you've been given that kind of new power, how to use it responsibly, and to make the world a kind of a better place, but not to try and do it by force and by violence, as the Green Goblin does in his kind of twisted, uh, fascistic, kind of thousand-year sort of version. So this is good. They've taken some time, and they've written a, a good musical song. What do you think, T? I think you mix this, as I said earlier, if you mix this with a Rise Above 1 and just have one ultimate Rise Above, super Rise Above, shall we say, mm-hmm. um, then it's then you have one really good song. Uh, I have no problem with the original start of 1, but then it has to progress like 2 does, in that you, you need the rest of the company to come in. If the musical is going to hinge around this song, then it needs the, the, the all of the company to be singing, you know, parts on it. Maybe even have the villains, you know, having a line or two. Mm. I just, I just think it needs that that power. And when the the chorus comes in, um, it's being sang by the whole company. It sounds amazing. Mm. It sounds really good. That's what I want it to sound like. It sounds like a musical. That the Rise Above One sounds like a rock pop kind of track, yeah, and I think that's why it was released as a single. It's got a very sort of like cool um, beat as well on the verses. You know, it's almost yeah. like hip hoppy style beat on Rise Above One. Whereas in this one, what you have is those militaristic, almost Larry Mullen style drums. You know, Sunday Bloody Sunday style so- uh, drums, which gives it a bit more gravitas. But I think this is uh, this version too. Sounds more like what the whole thing should sound like. It, take away the U two element. They can be, you know, be writers, but it doesn't have to sound like a U two record. 
That's the problem with this. It sounds like a U2 record. So you get not. rid of, say, Boy Falls from the Sky then, or something like that, which is the most U2-y saying, song on I'm there. not saying get rid of it. I'm just saying it doesn't need to sound like U2. Hmm. That's not why people bought a ticket. People people buy a ticket to to see the Spider-Man musical. And normally, when you go and watch a, a musical, unless it's Lion King, because everyone knows that's Elton John, right? But if you go and watch a musical, do you really care who wrote which song? Uh, in, in this musical, I think musical people do. I think they're very, if they're interested if it's a, if it's a song time or not. But you never want it to stick out like a sore thumb. You never want to be trying to watch Spider Man. Yeah. Keep getting hit in the face by this, you know, well, annoying thing. thing going, is, you know, you two wrote this. You well, know, you two wrote this. Well, that's this. the thing. I, I guess the this is a stunt cast um, musical because they are air dropping in rock stars, not even someone who's a theatrical pop star like Elton John, but they are uh, dropping in and that's what makes it weird and that's, yeah, I guess you, you do keep hitting your head against that brick wall of, you know, Edge and Bono being at least partially involved in this, you know. Yeah, I, I think I, I think maybe you 2 the name you 2 is just too big at this point to be doing it. Maybe if, you know, someone else, a lesser known artist had done it, it, it would be less intrusive. But if, but they wouldn't have done that though because you, you need the, the name. Room, you know they're in the room. Yeah, and that really goes against it. But I just think it wouldn't. I don't think you could have cast another band to do it because you need the star power. And I mean, who's another band that's of the scale of you two that could do anything like this? Hmm. I mean, you know, the Rolling Stones some, brings I, I you Spider Man. Listeners to the podcast will be thinking, "Oh, Coldplay could do that," but you're wrong. You're wrong. But Coldplay wouldn't want to do that either. I mean, that just wouldn't work. They've not got the 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 personality. They're not cartoony in the way that you two are often purposefully are. I think Chris Martin thinks he's cartoony, though. He's wrong. Um, I mean, I, and, and I like Coldplay, as I've said many times, but I think you can't really get anyone else to do it, really. Um, another occasion where a lyric is recycled. Yeah. Uh, Vision Beyond Visibility. I mean, fine with me because I don't really like Moment of Surrender very much, but um, it just seems a bit me. Come on. Yeah, like just change it. Yeah. <laughs> just, just isn't, it's alright as a placeholder. Although this song may have preceded uh, Moment of Surrender. Well, we don't know, do we? Because, I mean, Edge talks about the fact that they, they chucked in a load of stuff here that they'd had lying around. I'm sure he didn't put it that way. Um, it's effectively what they did though. Um, so yeah, you don't know when these. I mean, there's some that you can really tell. You know that it was from that era and that uh, that era, um, but possibly, yeah. And I just think it shows a lack of respect for their own work to mm. have that reproduction there. Um, maybe it fits, but even if it doesn't, you know, words are words are free. You know, I guess not in this context because everyone's spending so much money paying you two to write things and they're never there. But someone could have rewritten that, basically. And finally, to play us out, TV Carpio sings Turn Off the Dark. Finally, it's getting turned off. Yeah, took a while. Yeah, so um, I think this begins in a very strong fashion. It's very, very well produced. One of the most sort of subtle songs on this whole album. And... 
it almost sounds to me, and I might be wrong here, but to, to me this sounds or reminds me of um, Cedars of Lebanon at various points. There's sort of a slide guitar at the background. There's a quietness to it, which is quite nice and understated. She's got amazing vocals uh, on this, I think. This is from Arachne, basically. And we've not really had Arachne singing yet on, on here. And we don't really want to go into too much into the story, uh, you know, of what's occurring here. But this seems to make sense. There's a lot of interesting themes, which I think are left over from the mystical idea of Spider-Man that Julie Taymor initially wanted, you know. So she's talking about, you know, joining her in the Shadowlands and this idea of mating with Peter Parker and becoming some sort of odd galaxy-crossing pair or duo. And you think, okay, what's this got to do with Spider-Man, you know, the comic book and everything? What isn't, do you think? Isn't that, um, in comic book terms, is, is, is does Arachne have a big part in like some of the early comics? See, I'm, I don't know anything about the comics, really. I, I mean... just remember Bono at the time saying things like, oh, we we found a, a story which hasn't been recreated since and kind of been left, you're left alone for us to do. Mm. Um, so I was very surprised when I found out that the Green Goblin was around and it was basically the same story of the, of the films. Well, that's the thing. It's I, I don't actually have a problem with the Arachne uh, angle, but I don't see how that gels with the cartoony Green Goblin-y sort of angle. Pick mm-hmm. a thing, basically, and yeah. stick with it, um, which is not what happened. Um, so what do you make of this actual song and the performance and everything? Uh, it's, it's a very good um, performance by TV Carpio. Um, why didn't we get more of her? Because Arachne was uh, cut <laughs> but, back, I guess. Yeah, but you know, surely she had another role, or did was it just no. okay? We're not doing that, and she wasn't in it anymore. I think she was sort of. She became from a from a main villain in the original. She was cut back to a kind of bookend at the start and and the end of the of the performance. Oh God, I bet that wasn't popular. No, it was more popular because they actually no, like had for a, her. You know, like. I'm sure she didn't enjoy that very much, um, but it was. I think Julie Taymor would have been the person who was most annoyed about this because they fired her and re- re- rewrote the whole thing basically. So, um, so it's interesting, but I don't really think it fits with the rest of the album very much. Um, no. But a very beautifully produced piece of music. Bono and the Edge write this as well. Yeah, it's kind of unexpected. Yeah, I mean, but it's difficult here to say who wrote what. Or another way of saying that is who takes on the blame for this whole project because there were a lot of people involved well, you, in well, this. Well, Bono and the Edge have taken that on the chin. I imagine there were other producers and writers involved, but they don't seem to want their name attached to this. And there must have been musical advisors and things like that because I know that they were given lots of um, albums by the, the other kind of people involved um, who were heading this up and said, listen to all these different musicals, you know, get a feel for what works well. Well, you would be a fool if you were putting this kind of show together and just said, okay, you can write it, but not, you know, guide them. Because they'd never done anything like this before. But that's the problem. Because they're such big names, who the hell is going to go up to Bono and say, that's wrong, Bono. That thing you've done there is actually wrong, objectively speaking. I think you'd say that's the edge. Well, there you go, possibly. But even even though the Edge is far more mild mannered and seemingly you know less of an ego than Bono, he's a he's a he's an enormous star with a, with a great track record of producing hits. So I think it's difficult for anyone to tell any celebrity what to do, and it must be annoying for the celebrities as well because they're not treated like people anymore; they're treated like gods. Yeah. So there we go. Really. Yeah. Um. 
it's difficult to say what this album is, isn't it? I mean, it's not even all the songs. Uh, mm. I suppose the only way you can ever hear all the songs, unless they're online, is to go and watch a show that is no longer in production. Yeah, and you'd think um, that they might have produced... Oh, no, I was going to say they might have produced a DVD version, but then that would ruin the, you know, the kind of the magic for anyone As who wanted rule, to go. They never really. Yeah, do that. I just realised that would be a stupid idea. Yeah, it's you know, it's kind of interesting. I remember really liking this at the time, uh, so I was kind. Of, I was more. I, I was the one pushing for us to do this podcast mm-hmm. because I had such you know strong memories about about really enjoying this and it. I found it creatively very interesting. And then when I came back to it five years later, it's not great. See, I had the opposite really. reaction because I, I just disregarded it completely uh, from the first and thought, this is pretty terrible. It doesn't sound like authentic U2 to me. And I'm not that interested overall in in musical cast recordings either i've still not got into hamilton which everyone else seems to go on about well i think i've got more into musicals since this first came out okay i've certainly watched a lot more musicals since this came out so maybe it's i've just you know educated myself in a way and and so what i thought was great at at the beginning it doesn't stand up to you know some of the bigger boys i guess we can start winding up and start talking about whether or not this is an album and, and things like that. Um, I've got a big quote that I would like to to kind of go through um, from Stephen Thomas Earlywine, and he's saying, even within the framework of a musical, these songs are a murky, turgid mess. Too concerned with atmosphere and narrative to reel in a listener, and ironically, not offering ambience or story enough to suggest the musical would entertain. So my question is, do you agree with that? Or not? Um, He's very critical there. Yeah, that is very critical. I think this could have worked. I think this could have worked. I just, I think it took too long. Mm. Uh, it, it, and it, you know, and then very late in the day to say, no, we're going to, we're going to fire a writer or the writer yeah. and have it, you know, have a rewrite while you're already in production. Well, they'd done previews, you know, the show had been on. No show has ever previewed for as long as this one did. Yeah. I, I just think at the end of the day, it would have t- taken too much more time to to fix. Maybe somewhere, someone is still working away to try and, you know, to try and get this to work. There have always been rumours that it was going to go to Las Vegas. Yeah. Or that they were going to do an arena tour with it. None of those, uh, and, and, and you know, dates were put on those of 2015, 2016. As of now, in 2017, nothing has happened. Hmm. But I can see it eventually being rectified, you know, and coming back and being done properly. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of investors out there that lost a lot of money on this, and I can see them, if they, if this can be put out there in any type of form, to make money, yeah, I can see them doing that, and to be merchandised as well, which you can imagine they well they did throw as much merchandise at the time as possible at this. Yeah, um, just trying to focus on the the kind of positives of this. I mean, I was underwhelmed as I said when I heard this originally. I'm still underwhelmed overall. In a, in a parallel universe somewhere, maybe you know you two actually approached this with more humility, gave it more time, 
and did a good job of it and it actually worked out well and also arachne was pretty much not involved from the get-go or they said yeah let's do the arachne thing and let's just make it weird and that's the consequences and we're not we won't try and appeal to a kind of teen audience at all um the positive thing i take out of this and bearing in mind that's for me a u2 fan who pretty much my default option is what do i want u2 to be doing producing new music in a studio or touring that material this is a sign of the crazy ambitiousness that only a band like you 2 can really take on for me and i think it will be more fondly remembered perhaps in the past when we look back and say do you remember when you 2 were involved in a spider-man musical let's not pretend that spider-man is a gritty you know um superhero that can be saved by that kind of you know like a, a realism or anything like that it's spider-man it's fun and if there is a band who would have worked well to do this it would have been you too they deal in big abstract terms good versus evil you know that kind of thing a lot of the time so it's annoying that it went quite spectacularly wrong but i'm glad they tried yeah i've said all along that i'd rather listen to all of you two's stuff you know even think ideas that are half baked or half realized uh, so i'm glad i can listen to this it is different it's something that maybe 10 years ago we didn't expect them to do mm. so i'm glad i can listen to it and there are some highs on this they, they get, sometimes they get it right on well, this album speaking of which what was your what was your sweetest thing for this or sweetest string we might say oh sweetest string <laughs> My sweetest thing for today would be um, all the, the, the freaks song. What's it called? <laughs> freak, a freak like, like me. me, yeah. A Needs freak company. Like me. A freak like me, yeah. Um, mine was pull the trigger. Um, I think I will actually be coming back to that song in the next, you know, kind of few years because it's just so much fun um, in so many different ways. It's fun for the cast. It's fun for uh, the edge if if that is him playing on it. Yeah. Good. And I'm not going to try and shoehorn a Spider-Man pun into this. So, um, the next one, Tyler? So, Spider-Man, what's your dirty day? <laughs> um, mine's that one where it says Say You Will. I've forgotten the name of it. Mine's definitely Sinisterio. Oh, really? Yeah, uh, Sinisterio or whatever. I couldn't say that just because it's, it's an edge one. Um, I just can't walk away, brackets, say it now. Um, that's the one which was just all over the place. Too many different styles and awful. Um, but no doubt for the next two weeks, Rise Above One will be in my head because that's just a song that once I think about, I cannot get out of my head ever. And I, I don't seem to enjoy it as much as I used to, but yeah, it's just part of my human condition, I suppose. Mm-hmm. In Review 2 news, I think the next time you hear from us, we will be reviewing... Uh, U2's live output, starting with the very early day recordings uh, up to Under a Blood Red Sky, and then going all the way through to the Innocence and Experience Tour Part 1, I think is the best way to say that. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, we're going to be doing a whole season dedicated to U2's live shows, and that will be the next full season. Maybe we'll put put another mini episode out yeah. during that time. Uh, in the meantime, we would really appreciate it if you could um, subscribe, like, follow, and even leave a review on SoundCloud or iTunes. It, it will just help us um, market the show to 
the biggest possible U2 audience. Uh, we really do want to get this show out to as many people as possible. It's a, a non-profit show. We don't uh, we don't make anything from this. In fact, I just spend a lot of money on it. So, um, um, yeah, it takes a lot of time as well, to be honest. Yeah, um, but we we've really been enjoying getting your feedback, which is we've been getting a lot more recently, and we really, really do appreciate this. Um, so, thank you very much for continuing to listen, and we'll be back with you as soon as possible. But I think for today. From myself, Tyler, and from sat across from me, Johnny, uh, it is goodbye for now, and we'll see you soon. See you soon. Hi there, thanks for listening to the show. If you'd like to get in touch, please contact us on facebook.com forward slash review 2 you or on soundcloud.com forward slash review 2 or search for the Review 2 podcast on iTunes. You can also email us at review2contact at gmail.com. Please like, comment and subscribe. Thank you.